You may not think of yourself as a diplomat, but Tyler Holder says you are a representative. Disciples recognize and realize there is a greater kingdom that they're living for. And a disciple is a citizen of that kingdom here and now. So if there's a greater kingdom that we're pursuing, if there's something bigger, something greater in this life than just what's presently in front of us, do we recognize and realize that in our prayers, but more than that, do we recognize and realize this greater kingdom throughout our day-to-day lives? If there's a greater kingdom, and if disciples are citizens of that kingdom, and if the kingdom we're currently in isn't that kingdom, And that means you and I are ambassadors for a greater kingdom. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. And I'm Trent Griffith. If you've ever wondered if God is listening when you pray, be sure you hear today's program. We're going to go straight to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, and see that we are heard. This has been a rich study through the Gospel of Luke. We've looked at who Jesus really is and how that affects our lives. Because He is Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God, that has some serious implications for us. And His opinion of us truly matters. So here in recent weeks, we've been answering this question, who does Jesus say I am from the Gospel of Luke? We've seen, I'm called to greatness, but greatness by God's definition. I'm a follower, I'm an everyday missionary. I'm a neighbor, I'm a worshiper, and today, as I mentioned, Tyler Holder will talk to us about the fact that we are heard. Tyler serves here at Gospel City Church as our pastor to college students. He also heads up our ministry to men here at Gospel City Church. So let's listen together. Here's Tyler Holder. Hey, if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them to Luke chapter 11. Now, about seven years ago, this past July, my wife and I welcomed our first addition to our family. Our son, Jax, was born seven years ago. And if you didn't know this, there's no instruction manual for children, period, right? the, The amount that I didn't know was overwhelming, and it became even more so when this 90 year old man rolled a wheelchair into the hospital room after three days and said, get in, Janelle, put your son on your lap, and it's time for you to leave. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you don't know who I am. Why are you trusting me with the life of a child? One. Two, why are you wheeling my wife out in a wheelchair? She can walk, I think. I've never had a baby. I don't know. So she gets wheeled out, and there's this moment when she's coming around the corner and going down a decline in the parking garage. I'm watching this old man, and I'm thinking, please, Lord Jesus, don't let him lose his grip on this wheelchair. It will be certain impending doom if he does. And he doesn't. Praise Jesus. We get Janelle in the car, Jack's in the car, and we drive 20 miles an hour back home because that's the max speed you can drive with a newborn. I didn't know that. That's not actually a rule, but it should be. And we get home and we unload jacks. We get Janelle out of the car and day one happens, night one happens, and it's just like smooth sailing. Day two, night two, smooth sailing. And in my mind, I'm rehearsing all of these warnings that people had given me about children. You'll never have a sleep-filled night again. Well, so far, so good. They'll be really gassy. That's true. Um, They could be sick. Maybe. But it just seemed like every single night I would lay my head on the pillow 
and wake up eight hours later. And I thought to myself, has the Lord blessed us with a perfect firstborn? I know he's a sinner, but maybe he's not as big. No, he's still as big of a sinner as all of us. But what is happening in this moment? This happened for about 22 months, almost two years. And there came a moment in Janelle and I's uh, marriage where we're having a conversation with some friends and I just recount to them this beautiful story. Like we bring our son home from the hospital and it is so great and he's perfect. I've never woken up once in the middle of the night to ever tend to him. He eats right before he goes to bed. He goes to bed and he wakes up and he's not even dirty. He's still dry. It's amazing. And my wife gives me this look and maybe you've had the look that I've had. It's the look that, sweetheart, you're an idiot. And in that moment, she goes, do you realize Jax wakes up about three to five times every night? Nope, I had no idea that was a thing. <laughs> do, do you understand that I change his diaper at least twice in the night so that when he wakes up, he's dry? No, no, never experienced that or been a part of that with you, sweetheart. And, and all throughout these almost two years, as being the awesome father that I am, I slept through every moment that my son cried. Every single one. There, there was not a single moment where I was worried enough to wake up. Now my wife, bless her heart, she was up each and every time. I didn't understand why she was so tired those first two years. I was, I was grasping to figure that out. This morning as we look at Luke chapter 11, what we'll see is we will see a wonderful, loving, caring father who, unlike me, hears the cries of his children and not just hears them, desires for them to cry out constantly. And this morning, as you sit here and as we open up Luke chapter 11, there's some of you that when you hear the words gracious and caring father, your mind immediately flees from the thought of God. There's students here this morning that are starting school that the last thing on their mind is a gracious and caring father when they look at an upcoming semester. There's men and women that are here this morning that are harboring inner burdens and sins and they can't understand how God could ever be gracious or loving or kind to them. There's college students and high school students that are here this morning that are hearing the words that God is a gracious, loving father who desires for you to call out to him and the last thing you would ever think about doing is exalting your voice to a God that cares for you. So my hope and my prayer as we open up Luke chapter 11 is that you would see that God is a gracious and good God who desires for us to cry out to him in prayer, to persistently pursue him in prayer, and to focus our hearts and our minds on his goodness and care for us as our heavenly father. So I hope you've made your way to Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Notice what scripture says. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you? who has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, 
Lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Lord, our gracious God, we echo the prayers of the disciples. We ask that you would teach us to pray this morning, that you would reshape how we pray by the power of your word. So Father, we, we give you this time and ask that you would move. Lord, for your word is the only thing that creates change. It's in your precious name we pray, amen. Here in verse chapter 1, Luke jumps in and gives us a glimpse into the life of Jesus that he gives us all throughout the gospel. We see Jesus about to teach on prayer, showing us how he prays. Notice what it says. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. There's this feeling of eager expectation, almost like the disciples are waiting on the cusp of where Jesus is praying and just waiting. They're just jumping back and forth, about to hit that finish line or that start line. They're just ready to go after Jesus. They're looking at him. Is he done yet? Did he fall asleep? I asleep, fall asleep when I prayed. Did he? No, he's still moving. Great. He's still praying. Okay, he's done. Let's shoot straight in and ask him one of the most important questions any disciple can ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And as Jesus is about to unfold in the next verses, his teaching on prayer, there's something important that we need to understand before we jump in, is that Jesus isn't teaching the multitudes. Jesus isn't teaching the crowds. Jesus is teaching his disciples. And disciples are different than the multitudes. Disciples are different than the crowds. Disciples follow Jesus. Disciples have acknowledged their own sinfulness and their brokenness apart from Jesus. Disciples have confessed their sin and repented of their sin and placed their faith and trust in Christ alone. Disciples have counted the cost. They have weighed and considered what following Jesus as Lord and Savior in every aspect of their lives and look like. And disciples have concluded that a life following Jesus is of far more worth than a life fleeing from him. We're about to see a conversation between disciples and the one they follow. It's important for us to understand right out of the gate a prerequisite to this conversation as a relationship with Jesus. So before we even jump into our text this morning, let me put before you the most important question you could ever ask. It's not, Lord, teach us to pray without having a relationship with Jesus. It's first, Lord, I repent of my sins. 
I place my faith and trust in Christ alone. Have you become a disciple of Jesus? Have you counted the cost of following Jesus in every facet of your life and come to the conclusion that you would rather live a life following him than fleeing from him? If not, oh, that you would place your faith and trust in Christ this morning. Oh, that you would repent of your sins and come to know Christ. Don't try to pray as a disciple if you aren't a disciple. First, seek the Lord's face in salvation. So Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and we see that we are heard first when my prayer is God-centered. Notice what Jesus declares in verses 2 through 4. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I love Jesus' assumption. Jesus' assumption is that disciples will pray. Notice Jesus says, when you pray, literally whenever, at every moment, at every capacity, in any situation and circumstance, when you pray, this is how you should pray. Jesus doesn't declare to us if you pray. He doesn't declare to us that when the sun is shining and your shoes are good, roses are red, and when violets are blue, that's the time that you should pray too. That's not what Jesus is declaring to us here in Luke chapter 11. He's saying any moment, at every time, as a disciple, when you pray, pray like this. And he shows us first that prayers must be God-centered. And the first thing we see is that God-centered prayers begin with God's holiness. Notice what he says, Father, hallowed be your name. And just quick poll, how many of you have used that word hallowed this week in normal conversation? Nobody? Praise Jesus, okay? Hallowed is an old word that describes and gives exaltation to God's character. Our first component, our first activity in prayer isn't that of getting something for ourselves, Our first activity in prayer is ascribing and giving something to God. It's declaring His holiness, His set-apartness, who He is. Jesus is teaching that I should begin my times of prayer, that you should begin your times of prayer by exalting and setting apart, sanctifying God's name as holy. And as we do, a crazy thing happens. As we reorient and set our minds on God's holiness first and not on the pressing of my needs, what happens is my frame is shifted and how I pray is changed. No longer are my needs pressing in and overwhelming me because I focus my mind on a holy God that cares more about my needs, more about the salvation of my family, more about the cares that are happening in my marriage, more about my children and work situation than I do. He cares more about what's happening in this world than I ever could. And the reality is, is that if I don't begin my time praying with the Lord by focusing on His holiness, then I could quickly assume that God can't handle the burdens of my heart. 
I must begin my times of prayer hallowing his name, setting apart his name, exalting him in his holiness. So let me ask you, as you pray, how do you begin? Do you begin and pause to recognize the name that you are about to invoke? The name of the God of the universe who not only created everything but sustains it with the power of his word. Do you begin your times focusing in on God's holiness? Next, we see that God-centered prayers are not just focused on his holiness, but are focused on his kingdom. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Disciples recognize and realize there is a greater kingdom that they're living for. And a disciple is a citizen of that kingdom here and now. So if there's a greater kingdom that we're pursuing, if there's something bigger, something greater in this life than just what's presently in front of us, do we recognize and realize that in our prayers, but more than that, do we recognize and realize this greater kingdom throughout our day-to-day lives? If there's a greater kingdom, and if disciples are citizens of that kingdom, and if the kingdom we're currently in isn't that kingdom then that means you and I are ambassadors for a greater kingdom. This past Tuesday, I sat at my home. We had our college small group meets every Tuesday, 7 p.m., shameless plug. And um, as we sat in a circle with these college students, I began to realize that in the next seven to 10 days, they would interact and be in different situations and scenarios that I could never be. That they were gonna be activated and sent to IUSB and Notre Dame and St. Mary's that they were were going to leave my home and go back to their communities, to their workplaces, and have conversations that I could never have. And the thought overwhelmed me that they are ambassadors for God's kingdom in areas that I could never be. And it overwhelmed me. And the reality is, is that that's not just true for my small group. That's true for you if you're a disciple of Jesus. That God hasn't hasn't placed you anywhere on accident. That you have been put into the job you have, into the home you have, into the neighborhood you have. You have the family you have. You, You have the interactions that you have on purpose. And that as an ambassador of God's kingdom, our prayers should be focused on his holiness and desiring to see his kingdom come here and now. And we are tasked with the mission and the message to proclaim. So as you pray, are you focused on his holiness and are you desiring his kingdom? The third component we see of God-centered prayers is simply this, is that God-centered prayers rely on his provision. Notice what he says in verses 3 and 4. Giving us the model prayer, he tells us, give us each day our daily bread. Not bread for tomorrow. Not old stale bread from yesterday. Lord, I must rely on your provision physically today. Help me today. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Disciples, as they pray, recognize and realize that we must rely on his provision for daily seeking forgiveness for the sins that we are so apt to commit. 
we remind ourselves of the gospel each and every day, our need to repent first and foremost and come to the feet of Jesus. Lord, forgive us our sins. But not only that, disciples, since we've been forgiven so much, are then called to extend that grace and forgiveness to those that have wronged us. Did you see it? Help us to forgive those that have been indebted to us. How much easier would the Lord's Prayer be if Jesus kind of threw something in there like you could harbor bitterness? Wouldn't that be way easier? Like, and if those that hurt you real bad, just hold it against them. That'd be way easier to pray. He doesn't do that because he's way smarter than we are. He tells us, you've been forgiven so much. Now take that forgiveness and understand that you too should extend and offer that same forgiveness to those that have been indebted to you. And the last thing that he tells us that we must rely on his provision for is that we be not led into temptation. The default setting in my heart is to run after temptation. I don't know if that's you. Maybe you're different than me. And my prayer must be centered around, God, give me what I need today to flee this. Help me, Jesus, for I need you I need to rely on your provision for my daily bread. I need to rely on your provision for forgiveness and extending it to others. And I need to rely on your provision for keeping me from temptation. We are heard when our prayers are God-centered. And thinking about relying on his provision, my mind came to a story of a man from the 1800s named George Mueller who exemplified and embodied a man who relied upon God's provision. George Mueller ran an orphanage and cared for over 120,000 orphans in his lifetime, traveled over 200,000 miles by ship to 42 different countries to proclaim Christ. And Mueller wrote this down in his journal one day. He said, one morning all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. And the children were standing waiting for their morning meal. Mueller said, children, you know we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, dear father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. There was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker, and no sooner had he left than there was a second knock at the door, and it was the milkman. He announced that his cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage, and he wanted to give the children his cans of fresh milk so that he could empty his wagon and repair it. Oh, that we would rely upon the provision of God in prayer. The second thing we see here is that we are heard when our prayer is persistent. Jesus transitions here in verses 5 through 13 from giving an explicit teaching on prayer to telling parables illustrating it for us. And what we see here in these few verses is this picture of prayer as a persistent pursuit that we endeavor to do. Notice what he says. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs.
know, the simplicity of that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples is really, it's both challenging and comforting, isn't it? We've been listening to Pastor Tyler Holder, the pastor to college students at Gospel City Church, and he'll be back next week to finish up this message. But I mentioned the simplicity of Jesus' prayer. Isn't it great that we don't have to pray big, fancy prayers? We don't even have to recite certain words to be more pleasing to God. We do need to keep God's priorities in mind, and that's part of the point of the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples, this model prayer. It's a pattern. It's a way of viewing life. Now, I don't know if you're a parent or not, but if you are, you know that your relationship with your children has affected the way you view your relationship with God. Because God is our Heavenly Father, and He treats us perfectly with His love. And a lot of times, I'm kind of like a whiny kid who can't settle down and be content. But God loves me, God loves us, and He wants us to cry out to Him. So being a dad has completely affected my view of the fatherhood of God. And that should affect the way we pray, too. Now here's Jill Phillips singing about our daily bread. looking for a church that you can call home, why not worship with us at Gospel City Church? We'd love to have you worship with us. For more information about gathering times and locations, just go to mygospelcity.org. Again, that's 
mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. Well, if you find that your prayer life is weak, maybe you could use some pointers on persisting in prayer. And that's something Tyler Holder will share with us next week right here on Resonate. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word and God-centered prayer would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.